evening. You're listening to The Truth Tank, and I'm your host, The Tank. If this is your first time listening to The Truth Tank, a big welcome. If you're a repeat listener, welcome back. Tonight's episode is going to be a continuation to the Academy Awards 2023. We're going to be picking up right where the last episode left off. The last episode looked at the winners and losers of the 2023 Academy Awards, as well as some of the blatant favoritism shown to some films by the Academy. It also looked at the battle of two films. And this is something I've noticed over the last couple of years. It seems like the Academy plays two films off against each other. They seem to create a conflict or a competition between the two favorites for Best Picture. And this year it was Everything Everywhere All At Once and All Quiet on the Western Front. And a correction for last episode, I realized I refer to everything everywhere all at once as everything everywhere all the time. This episode will continue our look at the 2023 Oscars. We'll also be looking at does the Academy hand out Oscars to artists as a way of an apology for being snubbed? Are some artists quote unquote overdue for an Academy Award, even though they continuously produce great films year after year? We'll also be looking at some of the previous Academy Award winners over the past couple of decades and much more. So without further ado, let's get into tonight's show. This is episode 47 of The Truth Tank, the 2023 Academy Awards. to the Oscars, we have the BAFTAs and the Golden Globes. The BAFTAs and the Golden Globes are what, about a month before the Academy Awards, and they usually give a pretty good prediction of who's going to win, except this year. The BAFTAs seem to be a bit more old school in who wins Best Actor, Actress, Director, and Best Picture. Elvis cleaned up at the BAFTAs and the Golden Globes, as did Kate Blanchett, Yet they were all snubbed in the Oscars. So you can't put any bets on the Oscars based on the wins of the previous two awards. There used to be a pretty clear indication, but in the last couple of years, the Oscars just seems to you know, come straight from left field with who wins Best Picture, Director, Actor and Actress. I think the BAFTAs are a lot fairer and a lot more prevalent at the moment than the Oscars are. And the Golden Globes, they don't seem to have been infiltrated by the political and social messaging. It seems just to be more about the movies and the actors and the directors, etc. than it is about trying to please all these social groups that don't support any of the films that are nominated. The BAFTAs and Golden Globes seem to pick more films that are popular with audiences and are more liked by the public. The Academy seems to do its own thing and just pick these obscure titles that you know that they kind of like but aren't necessarily the most popular choice. I've seen a few Oscar-nominated films over the last couple of years and some of them are fucking dreadful. I watched Nomadland a couple of weeks ago. It was an okay film. I just don't think it was anywhere near the caliber of, of what an Oscar film should be. 
it was a good independent drama. I didn't think it was that special. Uh, I didn't think the characters in it were that likable. They kind of come off like very idealistic, delusional morons. It was good. It wasn't great. It seemed very overhyped by the Academy and a lot of those films, as soon as they get the tick of approval from the Academy, are either re-released into, into cinemas and a whole bunch of people go see them just because they've been nominated. So it's a good way to get more revenue for the film, I guess. And as I mentioned before, there's this conflict and competition between two of the nominees. This year it was All Quiet on the Western Front and Everything Everywhere All the Time. All Quiet looked like it had it in the bag. And then Everything Everywhere comes hot out the gates and cleans up Best Picture and Best Director. Everything Everywhere All the Time had 11 nominations and 7 wins. All Quiet on the Western Front had nine nominations and four wins, so you know roughly half of what they were nominated for. Going back to what I was saying about Angela Bassett not standing for Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis was nominated for a you know quirky dramatic sci-fi film, and Angela Bassett was nominated for a superhero film. You should probably be grateful that you were even nominated for a best supporting role, given it was a superhero film. Was it really that good of a film? I've heard mixed reviews. Everything Everywhere All The Time won a majority of the awards over the night. As I mentioned, Best Picture, Best Directors, Best Screenplay, Best Supporting Actress and Actor, and Best Actress. But the real winner of the night was Netflix. Netflix had more films nominated this year than in previous years. And going back a couple of years, there was big controversy when Netflix had one film nominated and that was Roma. That film won a bunch of a bunch of Oscars, but it was the, it marked the first time a streaming service had a film nominated alongside the traditionally studio-produced films in the Academy Awards. Spielberg had a bit of a problem with it, so did a few others, and now all those people are producing content for streaming services. So go figure. Netflix has come a long way in the last couple of years. It's gone from one nominated film to several. It cleaned up this year and in previous years. Netflix is definitely adding a lot of Oscars to their inventory. They're definitely shaking things up. They've shaken the Academy up. They're kind of redefining what an Oscar-nominated film can be. It doesn't have to be traditionally studio-produced. It doesn't have to have a big theatrical release. The old guard should be scared. Because in coming years, Netflix probably won't be the only streaming service to have Oscar-nominated films. Amazon Prime will want in on the action, and so will every other streaming giant. The streaming services are here, and they're here to stay. Also brings up the question, why is Netflix the favourite? They seem to be the only streaming service with movies nominated, and as I just mentioned, Amazon Prime will probably want a piece of that real estate in the coming years. But it seems like Netflix has really gone out of its way to produce films that will either get noticed or get nominated. Maybe they've gone on their own version of the Oscars campaign and done attack ads. Or maybe that is just the you know core of their business model is to produce more Oscarish type of films. I wouldn't call them Oscar bait because some of the movies they produce are a lot better than the standard. Oscar bait films that get 
produced just to get noticed by the Academy, just so that studio can have the prestige of winning an Academy Award or two. Much the same way Harvey Weinstein would produce films just to win, just to get the prestige. He produced pretty much anything. He would produce a lot of films that were that more dramatic, smaller budget end of film that would get noticed by the Academy. And like I mentioned on Ding Dong Oscar's Dead, he was one of the most prolific users of the attack ad tactic. He'd make up stories and go after his competition pretty hard. And he won Oscars out of it. The Academy Awards have definitely changed, but have they changed for the better? It's all about politics and diversity nowadays. Although the politics were dialed down this year, the jokes were dialed up. And they do really seem to not get the point that the Academy Awards should be about the films and not everything else going on, on in society. The Oscars used to be a bit of an escape. You could watch the pretty people get dressed up and parade themselves in front of cameras and win shiny things. It took you out of your own boring life for three, four, five, six hours. I remember when it used to be on at night. Well, they used to have the replay on at night, and after work I'd watch it, and it wouldn't finish till you know twelve thirty at night. I'd always be tired as fuck the next day because I'd uh, work at six o'clock in the morning. Fun times. The real loser this year was Elvis and all the Australian nominees. And all the other good films that missed out. I mean, Top Gun Maverick, in my opinion, should have got Best Picture. But so should The Batman, so should Avatar, The Way of Water, and the other great films that came out last year. I think some of the nominees were a bit overrated, but then again, I haven't really seen any of them. I've only seen a few of them. I saw The Fablesman, and that's about it. So I can't really talk. I'm also starting to think the Academy doesn't like entertainment value in movies, just themes and messaging. A lot of the Best Picture winners definitely have a strong message or theme they want to get across, and the Academy seems to pick these films based on the theme and messaging value of the, of the movie and not so much the story or the, or the entertainment. Going back to Nomadland, you can kind of see how they picked that because it highlights a small part of the population that lives nomadically. Yeah, yes, it was interesting, but like I said, I don't think it was Oscar-worthy. That's just my opinion. But they definitely try to pick stories like that rather than ones that just tell a good story or have some type of entertainment to them. Also, the Academy keeps changing the wrong things. They keep waffling on about running times and we need to make it shorter so more people will watch it because there's been such a big downturn in ratings over the last decade. They need to stop changing the superficial things and start changing the things that actually matter. They need to have more categories for a more broad range of films like action, sci-fi, comedy, superhero. You can't compare an action film with a comedy and you can't compare a comedy with a drama. There used to be the musical and comedy, but that wasn't there this year. I don't think it was there last year either. Fair enough, there aren't a lot of musicals made or comedies that are worthy of you know, getting to the Academy Awards, but there still should be one. There still should be that category for action, sci-fi and superhero. These films come out all the year and they're not going away. There's going to be Marvel and DC movies for the next decade. Maybe you need to get on to that bandwagon and get a new generation of people interested 
in the Academy Awards. How do you compare a film like All Quiet on the Western Front to Black Panther, Wakanda Forever? The Oscars always favour or get fixated on a certain theme. This has been pretty prevalent since about 2010 or so. It's been all about politics, race, gender or social issues. They focus on that and not the story or creativity of the films. The best picture winners from the 90s and 2000s were all great, enjoyable, dramatic and entertaining films. Then when you get to about 2010, 2011, things start to get pretty boring. So let's have a look back at past best picture winners and see if we can see a bit of a pattern forming. And I'm going to start all the way back in 1929. Best picture for 29, Wings, followed by 1930s Broadway Melody. 1931, All Quiet on the Western Front. Skip a couple of years. Then you have Casablanca, Going My Way, The Lost Weekend, Hamlet, All the King's Men, An American in Paris, On the Waterfront, Bridge on the River Choir, Gigi, Ben-Hur. So from the 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and going into the 60s, a majority of the best picture winners were all these big, grandiose epics worthy of the glitz and glamour and prestige of an Academy Award. Going into the 60s, this trend continues. In 1962, West Side Story wins Best Picture, followed up in 63 by Lawrence of Arabia, 66, Sound of Music, 68, In the Heat of the Night, Oliver, and 69. So that theme and pattern of big grand epics continues into the late 60s. That is until we get to the 70s, where they're still dramatic films, but they're more not so much epic. Well, some of them are. There's a lot more action and war films included in that. 71, Patton wins, followed by The French Connection in 72, then The Godfather in 73, The Sting in 74, followed by The Godfather Part 2, 75, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, 76, followed up by Rocky in 77, Annie Hall in 78, The Deer Hunter 79, and Kramer vs. Kramer in 1980. Dramatic, enjoyable films, but one of the key things about all these films is they're all pretty entertaining. I mean, The Godfather's a masterpiece. The Deer Hunter's a bit slow, but it's still a great film. And Rocky, I mean, it started a whole legacy that's still continuing today in Creed 3. The Sting, masterpiece of a film. French Connection, fucking great. You know, it's a 90-minute action crime drama, but it is riveting from start to finish. So this brings us into the 80s. 81, Ordinary People. 82, Chariots of Fire. 83, Gandhi. 84, Terms of Endearment. 85, Amadeus. Out of Africa in 86. 87, Platoon. Fucking brilliant movie. 88, The Last Emperor. 89, Rayman. And Driving Miss Daisy in 1990. So this trend continues of great diverse films. There's something for everyone in the 80s. you got war movies, biopics drama, Rayman's dramatic comedy, Driving Miss Daisy, you know, comedy, bit of drama. Now we're heading into the 90s and there's a very similar pattern. 91, Dances with Wolves, excellent film. 92, Silence of the Lambs. 93, Unforgiven, Schindler's List in 94, followed by Forrest Gump in 95. Braveheart, 96, The English Patient, 97. Titanic, 98. Shakespeare in Love, 99, which should really have been Saving Private Ryan, and American Beauty in 2000, 
to kickstart the new millennium. Once again, diverse range of films, something for everyone. They all tend to be epic in their own way. Dances with Wolves, historical epic, Silence of the Lambs, murder epic. That one's probably the black sheep of the group, besides Shakespeare and Love, which probably shouldn't have been there. Silence of the Lambs, the serial killer, kickstarts the Hannibal franchise. Not quite what you would see nominated today. Very dark, violent, and dramatic film, but it was still an Oscar-worthy film. Unforgiven, same thing. A violent, gritty western. It was the last western to win an Academy Award, followed by a biopic and war epic in Schindler's List. Very depressing, emotional film. Forrest Gump, drama, comedy, history. It's a bit of a mashup of genres. Braveheart, despite its historical inaccuracies, is still a pretty good film. It was when it came out. It has probably soured a bit with age, but it's still a decent film. English Patient, I uh, haven't seen. It's on my list to watch. Big romantic war epic, like the films they used to make back in the golden age of Hollywood. And then followed up by James Cameron's masterpiece, Titanic. History, epic, adventure, love story. It's got everything. Shakespeare in Love, romantic comedy. Yeah, it's not that great. Going into the new millennium, American Beauty. We're starting to see a different kind of drama emerge, more of a quirky kind of indie drama. It's not what dramatic movies of the past have been like. It's a bit left of field, a bit alternative. Now we come into the 2000s and a personal favorite, Gladiator in 2001, big sweeping historical epic, followed by A Beautiful Mind in 2002, Chicago in 2003. Haven't seen it, and that is a musical winning an Academy Award, followed by 2004 and Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, fantasy, action drama, masterpiece in its own right, followed by A Million Dollar Baby in 2005, yeah, very depressing sport drama, Crash in 2006, excellent film, that's that kind of new wave, new generation of dramatic film, using a lot of Steadicam, having those separate but intertwined stories, that all connect to this overarching big picture. Very original, very good film. The Departed in 2007, crime epic. One of Scorsese's best. Followed by another crime epic in 2008 and No Country for Old Men. Slumdog Millionaire in 2009. Once again, a little left of field. Dramatic with a bit of a comedy element. I haven't actually seen it, to be honest. But it's a very different film to some of the f typical movies that get nominated. This is followed up in 2010 by The Hurt Locker. The King's Speech in 2011, The Artist in 2012, Argo in 2013, which I forgot won an Academy Award, 12 Years a Slave in 2014, Birdman in 2015, Spotlight in 2016, Moonlight in 2017, The Shape of Water in 2018, Green Book in 2019, Parasite in 2020, and finally Coda in 2021. There's a definite trend with the 2000s. It's like the previous decades. It's very diverse. There's something for everyone. You know, Gladiator, Beautiful Mind, Lord of the Rings, The Departed. You have war, drama, crime, fantasy, musicals, comedies, true stories. You have something for everyone. The movies are diverse and dramatic in one respect, but they're all good, entertaining films. I don't think there's a boring film on that, on that list, except for the, probably the last couple. The Hurt Locker in 2010, The King's Speech, dramatic, true story, bit of comedy. The Artist, black and white silent film, mm, he mixed things about that. 
Argo, a good film, probably not a Oscar winner as much as I love Ben Affleck as an actor and a director. It was a good film, maybe not an Oscar winning film. I can't remember what else was out that year. 12 Years a Slave, a very disturbing film, but good. Birdman I loved, a lot of people didn't like it. They thought it was weird or boring. I liked the way it was shot. It was original. Yeah, once again, comedy drama. Then we get into Spotlight, more of the run-of-the-mill drama, a bit more stock standard. Moonlight, very overrated. I thought La La Land was on this list. Thank God it's not. Shape of Water in 2018, very left of field. Green Book, that's playing it pretty safe. Despite the historical inaccuracies of that film, that was a good movie. Yeah, not quite a, quite sure it was Oscar-worthy. Parasite, I haven't seen. I've been told it's good. Encoder, it looks boring as shit. But you can definitely see a pattern forming over the decades of how, film, how films trend and which movies get nominated. These days, as anyone's guess, I will say there is a lack of science fiction films or action films or superhero. But science fiction, definitely. I don't think there's been any sci-fi winners. They tend to stick to the historical drama. Since about 2010, the best pictures have been pretty up and down they've been a bit more controversial a lot of people think that those films don't deserve to win they seem to be a bit more surprising because when you see a film like gladiator or titanic it's pretty obvious that it's going to get nominated for best picture best director whatever and it's probably going to win but when you have a film like argo or green book or coda or everything everywhere all the time it comes as a bit more surprise when films like that win and I just realized I've been referring to that film as Everything Everywhere All The Time. Everything Everywhere All The Time sounds better. Some of the best pictures in the last couple of years have just outrightly sucked. Or the very boring, arty dramas about nothing. So all in all, the Academy Awards over the last couple of years have been a pretty mixed bag. This year's Oscars kind of brought it back to what the Academy Awards should be. More focused on the artists and the movies rather than politics and social issues. It was a much smoother award ceremony than the previous years. You could even say it was a little bit boring, but then again, that's probably what the Oscars should be. But there is one very easy and simple way the Academy can get the audience to tune into the Oscars again, and that is to make the Oscars about the movies again, and not all the politics and pandering to certain artists and movies, whether they deserve an Oscar or not. If the Academy gave a shit about the integrity of cinema and movies and was less concerned about appearing fair and pandering to artists and films that may or may not actually deserve an Academy Award, they would be on their hands and knees begging Tom Cruise to make as many movies as possible. If you want to talk about fairness in the Academy Awards and who deserves an Oscar and what films deserve an Oscar, the Academy should be throwing Oscars at Tom Cruise. Top Gun Maverick was by far the best film of last year. I haven't seen everything everywhere all at once, but I don't have to to know that Top Gun was by far the unanimous favourite film of last year. It was one of my favourites. It was in the cinema for a very long time. I'm pretty sure it still is in the cinema. I think it's recently just come out on Blu-ray and DVD. That film alone single-handedly saved the cinematic experience because after COVID it was looking pretty dark for the cinema. Not a lot of people were going. People were scared they were going to catch a germ and were quite 
happy to stay inside streaming everything in the comfort of the living rooms. And it's a stroke of genius in hindsight that Paramount decided to delay the theatrical release of Top Gun Maverick for, what, about two years? Until the cinemas were open again and people could go out and go back to the theatres. If you want to talk about what's fair and who deserves praise and awards and these shiny statues and accolades that the Academy loves to throw around, they should be throwing plenty at Tom Cruise. That man is single-handedly responsible for saving the cinema industry. He doesn't, I think, get the credit in the eyes of the Academy or some critics. He is the last remaining movie star. I don't know of anyone else who cares so much about the audience experience during a movie than Tom Cruise. He's 60 or about to turn 60 and he's still doing pretty much all of his own stunts. He's learned to fly helicopters, held his breath underwater. He's climbed the Baj Khalifa. He's done free climbing with no harness or any safety net. He's held his breath for over five minutes. He's learned to fly a helicopter, learned to fly a jet. He's jumped off the back of a moving steam train while it's hurtling off of a bridge. He's ridden his motorbike off of a mountain and parachuted to the bottom, all for the sake of getting the shot and heightening the movie experience. I don't know of anyone else who has or can do that. A lot of modern actors don't do half of that. I mean, I hate to name names, but I don't see Chris Hemsworth jumping off of bridges or motorbikes or learning to fly helicopters. He called the stunt double for that. In my opinion, I don't think there's anyone else more deserving of an Academy Award in Hollywood than Tom Cruise. But we know how the Academy works. They're all political. They love to pander to these weirdo films with social messaging and not good old-fashioned stories and entertainment value, which is pretty much what movies are meant for. Yes, movies can be political. They can have messaging. They can be emotional, which is good. I love movies that do that. But sometimes you just want to go see a good story on a big screen. And Top Gun Maverick is the perfect theatrical experience. Yeah, it doesn't have the best script. It doesn't have overall the best acting, but it is a fucking fantastic film. It's a great story with a great cast. I've seen fewer action films that push the envelope as far as Top Gun Maverick did. For the most part, most of the scenes with the jets in it were all real. There's very limited special effects, which is very nice to see in a big modern day blockbuster because every... Big action movie that comes out these days is either Marvel or some type of superhero film that is just so full of special effects you can't tell what's real and what's not anymore. So seeing an actual F-18 flying by on screen with a actor inside of it and knowing that it, that is actually a jet and a person is really cool and not just blue screen and visual effects. In my wholehearted opinion, Tom Cruise definitely should be on his 10th Oscar by now. The Academy owe him a lot. Movies and the cinema industry in general owe him a lot for bringing audiences back to the theatres. They should be on their hands and knees begging him to keep making Mission Impossible and Top Gun movies. Like I just mentioned, Tom Cruise is one of the last, if not the last, movie stars. Just the way he will literally put his body in danger for the sake of the shots so the audience believes it. I don't know of any actor that does that or goes to those extremes like Tom Cruise. All for the sake of, are the audience having a good time? Are they believing the story? Are they believing the stunts? Are they putting the audience in the action and in the film? 
Because say what you want about Tom Cruise and his movies, but he makes movies for the audience. He doesn't make films for studios or to win awards or for the praise of celebrities and corporates in Hollywood. He just gives a shit about the ticket-paying audience. Are they getting their money's worth? Or can I be doing more to enhance the experience? That's why I love the Mission Impossible movies. Each one outdoes the last one. There's not a huge amount of visual effects in them. It's mostly practical. It's very nice to see that in big action blockbusters. While it was good to see Michelle Yeoh and Brendan Fraser win Best Actor and Actress awards, and I'm sure they deserve them, I just can't help thinking, is the Academy pandering with these awards? Did they really earn them on the acting merit? Or is there something else behind them? Are the Academy just trying to apologise and make up for years of mistreatment and blacklisting Brendan Fraser and for the most part ignoring Michelle Yeoh? And did they give the best performances of the year? Because there's a lot of people that would argue that Kate Blanchett deserved to win for Tar. She's won several times before, but that doesn't mean that she shouldn't win again for Tar. Should Austin Butler have won for Elvis? Like I said on the last podcast, he can't win again for Elvis. He has a physical transformation in that film. He is Elvis. There's some scenes in that film where it's very hard to tell the difference between Austin Butler and the real Elvis Presley. I haven't seen The Whale, so I can't compare. And I'm sure Brendan Fraser's performance is great. But something tells me this is coming off more as pandering for fucking up his career. He spoke out about the dark side of Hollywood and it looked like he paid the price for it for about 10 years. He wasn't in many movies at all. I think his last big film was The Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. He's done that DC TV show Doom Patrol where he was the robot guy and you don't really see his face anyway. And that was pretty much the only role he could get for the last 10 years until The Whale. So is the Academy giving awards to those who deserve it or the ones they are trying to apologize or pander to for treatment in the industry? Because I guarantee you, 10 years ago, the Academy would have laughed their ass off if you told them Brendan Fraser would be nominated for an Academy Award that would have been rolling around in stitches on the ground. George of the Jungle and Rick O'Connell can't win an Academy Award. He's a corny action comedy actor. Or is it the way he's been treated by the industry as a whole his entire career? And this goes back to the massively obvious problem of diversity in Hollywood. The Academy is definitely trying to right the wrongs of the past. Even though it was the industry that portrayed a lot of minority groups in a very negative light. It's been doing this for a long time. It's never apologized for it. And a lot of people form their opinions of certain groups in society based on what they saw in movies and TV shows. You look at the way Hispanics are portrayed in TV and movies. If there's a show in LA, Mexicans are always the bad guys. There's always a Latino street gang up to no good. You very rarely see Latinos portrayed in a positive light. Now, I'm not speaking generally. I'm not speaking talking about every single movie or TV show that's ever been made, but for the most part, pretty much every crime movie or show ever made in Los Angeles had a Mexican gangbanger in the background or portrayed Latino culture in a pretty negative way. And the same goes for African Americans and the way they've been portrayed in films for the better part of 50 to 60 years. A lot of movies made in the 60s and 70s the only parts available for African-Americans were the criminal element. It's hard to find a 
crime or drama movie from that era that didn't feature a black bad guy. The African-Americans in Serpico were pretty much all criminal. They're portrayed as rapists. A lot of the Dirty Harry movies, as good as they are, a lot of young black and Latino characters were always criminals. They were always a gang member or something or some type of lowlife. There wasn't a lot of starring roles or positive roles for African-Americans or Latinos during that time. Science fiction was completely different. Science fiction was a more level playing field, which is ironic because it's one of the few categories that doesn't get recognized by the Academy all that often. It's always for visual effects or some other technical categories. But in terms of themes and morals in movies, they were well ahead of the curve, especially compared to the stock standard Oscar bait dramas that usually get nominated. And this isn't just African-Americans or Latinos. Italian-Americans were always portrayed in a pretty negative light. Pretty much anyone who wasn't from the majority of society was portrayed in a pretty negative way. And these are stereotypes that Hollywood has perpetuated for the better part of a century. I mentioned this on previous shows about the use of white extras playing Native Americans and Pacific Islanders. Asians were used as Pacific Islander extras in South Pacific and a few of those movies of the 50s. That's a group that also doesn't get a lot of representation in Hollywood. It's started to change now. You see a lot more Asians in movies and TV shows because they were always considered either the comic relief or not taken seriously enough to get a important role. Or they were always the bad guy. They were either the triads or the Yakuza. Very rarely would you have an Asian in a heroic role, especially those Vietnam films of the 80s. That didn't help to change your audience's view. But then again, that is reality. You are making a film that is based on actual events. The Vietnamese were the enemy in the Vietnamese War. But it also depends on which way you look at it. Because in some people's eyes, the Allied forces that invaded Vietnam were the bad guys and the Vietnamese were the freedom fighters and vice versa. Look at the way Arabs and Muslims have been portrayed, especially in the last 20 years since 9-11. Very rarely do you see a modern war film where there's a Muslim or a Middle Eastern person portrayed positively. In all the war movies I can think of about Iraq and Afghanistan, I think the only one that really did something different was Lone Survivor, where Marcus Luttrell is helped and saved by a Afghan man. It shows you the duality between the extremist terrorist element and the hospitality of normal Afghan people. That's one of the few movies that's shown Afghan people as being human. I'm not trying to virtue signal or sound woke. I hate that fucking shit. Uh, I know Hollywood is a business. Where is their moral duty in accurately portraying different cultures and races around the world? Because it's all too easy to perpetuate stereotypes when that's what you've done for the last 50 years. That other war movie, Horse Soldiers, I can't remember the name of it, that showed you the two extremes as well, where the group of army rangers work with an Afghan warlord against the Taliban. It's based on a true story, much like Lone Survivor, American Sniper, The Outpost, but Lone Survivor and Horse Soldiers definitely show you this duality to the people and life in Afghanistan. And I know they're completely separate different and even alien cultures to Western society. But it doesn't help when a lot of Hollywood movies, especially the big war movies, always show America and the Allies as the good guys. I'm not saying they're not. 
but it's a whole grey zone when it comes to war, and you know, this goes into the world of Julian Assange and WikiLeaks. They're not everything the Allies did in Iraq and Afghanistan was 100% squeaky clean. And yes, you are fighting a war on terror, and it's a very dirty, dark world to be in. But you can't gloss over your own shit and hop point out someone else's. Especially in this instantaneous news media world, where if one person lies about something, the next day it's front page news. And look at how the world's turned on Prince Harry and Meghan, and rightfully so. Those pair of fucking deplorable morons. Just look at the fucking shit that they've made up in the last two to three years, allegedly. She's come up with a whole bunch of claims that sh the palace said this, they did this, they took our passports, and most of it's all been proven to be completely fabricated. And the amount of times I've heard that little ginger winger whining about how he's being mistreated and how he's had such a hard life. Yeah, he probably hasn't had the easiest life. But at the same time, you're a fucking prince that lives in a palace. You've never had to worry about money or food. A daddy pays taxes. He's a millionaire. I'm not a millionaire. I don't. I worry about money all the time, like most people. So realistically, what has that guy got to complain about? Yes, his mother died in a car accident that was very public and worldwide news. But that was 20 or so years ago. It's a sad, tragic event, but you have to move on. Otherwise, you get sucked back down into the past, and that's where you're going to stay. His brother has moved on. He's handled the limelight a lot better. And ever since he met Megan, he's turned into a whiny little cunt. That's getting a little bit off topic. So Hollywood's diversity problems are all their own making. If they were more lenient with casting certain roles, or if they bothered to portray a lot of cultures and minority groups in a more positive light and didn't try to stereotype everyone and everything for this for an easy convenient story arc maybe film and tv wouldn't be in such a weird place as it is now because you know those woke wankers that love to complain about there's not enough diversity and whatever their gripe against the industry is representation that week in superhero movies or star wars movies or star trek movies or fucking sci-fi movies in general there's not enough transgender half asian half puerto rican representation in star wars well should there be if you're talking about a minority that is so small does there need to be representation of every minority group and every type of person quote unquote on earth i really hate that argument where people base their entire argument around the skin color of a character or a actor well, we can't identify with Luke Skywalker because he's white. So we need a black Luke Skywalker, a female Luke Skywalker, a transgender Luke Skywalker, a queer Luke Skywalker, an Eastern European Luke Skywalker, a Mexican Luke Skywalker, a South American Luke Skywalker, a Portuguese Luke Skywalker, and so on and so forth. Where does it fucking end? If you can't identify with the qualities or morality of a certain character, and see traits of yourself in them, then that's your fucking problem. That's not everybody else's. White people, black people, pink people, blue people should all be able to identify with Luke Skywalker based on the qualities of the character and not the color of his skin or the physical representation. I mean, who gives a fuck if Luke Skywalker is straight, bi, non-binary? It's not really relevant to the story. It's a minor fragment of the character 
which is not really what Star Wars is all about. And I'm just using Star Wars as a general example. Yeah, and maybe movies over the past 50 or so years haven't always been inclusive or quote-unquote representative. And that also factors into politics. So unfortunately, we live in a world where entertainment and politics go hand-in-hand, hand, the same way sport and politics goes hand-in-hand. Hand. There was big concern over the interracial kiss on the original series of Star Trek. And this is at a time where civil rights in the United States weren't very good. There was a lot of division between white and black. Fortunately, we're in a better place now where that isn't an oddity to see that in film or TV. But it was back then. And these are real concerns the writers and producers have to take into account. Is the show going to get banned by the network? Is it going to start riots? Are the actors going to get threatened? Fortunately, nothing did happen. Star Trek being a sci-fi show gave it a certain flexibility that a dramatic or historical or comedy show may not have had at the time. And when you hear people say, well, we need to have a, a black gay Luke Skywalker, otherwise I can't identify with it. Well, isn't that just your problem as an individual? Because sexual orientation shouldn't be considered in Star Wars characters, and I think that is the wrong part of the story to be highlighting or focusing on. It's also unnecessary in a world like Star Wars. No one cares who anyone is fucking, and I don't understand why in modern society everyone is so ultra-concerned with sexual orientation and who finds what attractive. It's no one's fucking business but your own. And when these people are so obsessed with people's orientation and whether they're straight, bi, queer, non-binary or whatever other orientation is popular this week, it makes you wonder what is really going on upstairs. There are far bigger concerns on planet Earth right now than who's fucking who. And yeah, I get there are serious concerns too. The LGBTQIA community hasn't been treated very well in modern society. And a lot of the things they're complaining about needed to be changed. There's a very old-fashioned mentality. You look at the way gay people have been treated over the last thousand years or so. It hasn't been very good. And things did need to change. And for a majority, I'd say they have changed for the better. But can we leave some of these issues out of entertainment? If you want to take up that fight politically, go right ahead. But you don't have to change every piece of pop culture and every movie that was made from 1970 onwards. You don't have to remake Star Wars because Luke Skywalker isn't gay. You don't have to change Indiana Jones because he is a white heterosexual male living in the 1930s. Things can exist in their time periods and still be relevant today. Some things are classics for a reason, and the whole woke argument that the modern audience wouldn't understand it is complete bullshit. As I mentioned on the Indy 5 episode I did a few months back, Stories are timeless. An audience from any generation should be able to understand a good story. There's no such thing as a modern audience. Just political correctness gone insane. And this isn't just reserved for Star Wars or Star Trek. This is prevalent in the Marvel movies and DC and pretty much anything else that's been made. Video games have gone the same way. Why can't you just have a character that's going to appeal to the majority of an audience? and not micro-fixated on a certain subset of a subculture. When I watch a Denzel Washington movie, a Kevin Hart movie, Will Smith movie, Dwayne Johnson movie, I don't go, oh, well, I can't identify with that character because they don't look like me. 
I identify with the character because of the qualities of the character. Is he a good moral character or is he a bad moral character? Does he make good decisions? Is he likable? Dentel is one of my favorite actors. I love Kevin Hart. I also can learn a lot from people like that. Some of the inspirational, motivational videos I've seen on Denzel Washington are pretty incredible. I don't have to necessarily have had the same experiences as him to learn something from him or appreciate something about him as a person or the characters he plays. Kevin Hart's a very savvy businessman. I've heard a few podcasts with him talking about some of his charity and business work. I did learn a lot from it. I didn't go, oh, wait, he's not the same color as me, so I can't possibly understand anything that he is trying to say. I think people who say that should get their heads examined because that not that just another form of bigotry and racism? If you're the only thing you can discern from a character is the color of their skin. That got a little off track, so going back to Oscars and pandering and who deserves what. So Brendan Fraser and Michelle Yeoh. Did they win because they provided the best performance in their category? Or was it pandering or the apology tour in Brendan Fraser's case? Are the Academy just handing out Oscars to anyone who they think deserves it or who has been mistreated by the industry and the Academy? Are they just trying to appear sympathetic? Or do they really think they're going to get more views and ratings if they broaden who gets an Oscar and who doesn't? And going back to what I was saying about Kate Blanchett, she's won several Oscars before. But winning several Oscars in the past shouldn't take you out of contention to winning one that you're nominated for. So if she's won two or three Oscars, that doesn't mean she shouldn't win another one for Tar. If her performance is better than Michelle Yeoh or anyone else in that category, shouldn't she win based on her acting ability and the performance she gave? regardless of whether she's won one, two, three, four, or ten Oscars in the past. Because isn't that the whole point of the Academy Awards? Isn't that the whole purpose of that award ceremony is to award the best performance, film, director, producer, writer, yada, yada, yada. And not what's necessarily popular, political, or who needs an apology Oscar this year. And this is not something that's just reserved for the 2023 Academy Awards. This has happened right throughout their history. More so in the last 20 or so years than the previous 80 or however many years they're up to. And this brings us to the two Daniels, the directors of Everywhere, Everything, All at Once. They haven't made a lot of films, yet they won an Oscar for this. I haven't seen the film, so I can't really comment yay or nay. And I'm not saying that if you've only made one or two films, you can't win an Oscar or you shouldn't. However, a lot of best directors of the past have made several films. In some cases they've made you know, 20 or so outstanding films before they've won one shiny thing. The two Daniels have only made a handful of films. They've made a couple of short films, lots of music videos, some episodes of TV shows, Swiss Army Man in 2016, and Omniboat in 2020. Compare that with the amount of Oscars that Steven Spielberg has won over the course of his very illustrious career or Tarantino, or Scorsese. George Lucas has never won any Oscars. He probably won't. He doesn't like the Academy much, and he doesn't like the way Hollywood does things. So that would take him out of contention based on purely political reasons and nothing else. In his autobiography, he refers to that, saying he'll probably, he may win in a lifetime achievement, but he doesn't make movies for awards. He doesn't like, I'm paraphrasing this, obviously. 
He doesn't like the way they do things. He doesn't play by, quote-unquote, the industry rules or the academy rules, which means he wouldn't be a favourite of the academy. That does point to the academy awards as being purely political and not based on whatever the best film is. In the case of the two Daniels, I'm not sure they have the skills yet to pull off a film like that. There aren't that many directors who have won a Best Director Oscar with such little experience as those two. So this brings up the next point. If the Oscars are all about politics and pandering, and they have given us a little evidence to suggest otherwise, does this mean the Oscars are completely pointless? It's more of a popularity contest than anything. And as we looked at on previous episodes, you can run attack ads and an Oscars campaign to garner yourself favour to win an Academy Award. If you've made an Oscar-worthy film and you can't be fucked going on a year-long Oscar campaign or playing by the Academy's rules, you're probably not going to win. But if you do invest the time and you kiss all the asses and bend the knee to the executives and do everything their way, you get nominated and there's a good chance you can win. So if that ain't politics, I don't know what is. And if you want to compare it with actual politics, isn't this what candidates do? They go out and kiss babies shake hands, go to all those groups in society that they think they might be able to garner a vote or two from. They take pictures, they say all the right things, make a bunch of big promises, and they try to buy your favour. This is pretty much exactly the same way the Oscars seems to be run. If the awards are quote-unquote political, and they are pandering to certain artists or films that they either want to say sorry to, or have played the game and done all the press circuit and hosted the parties, gone on the attack ads, run a successful Oscars campaign, if they've done all those things to get a shiny thing at the end of the night and be praised by the Academy and the media, does that not make the Oscars completely irrelevant if that's the way it works? Because it sounds completely political to me and we know that's how politics works and it seems that Hollywood has pretty much copied the same method. When you look at how you win an Oscar, and you compare it to politics, it comes up with a pretty good mirror image. This is how politics are played, and it seems this is how the Academy is played as well. Therefore, the Oscars in the modern day are pretty irrelevant, if that's how it works. Look at political smear campaigns. They come up with a bunch of bullshit, or half-truths, or things that might be slightly factual, or factual that are completely blown out of proportion, or taken out of context. Politicians are always slandering each other to try and buy votes. Look at those ads before an election. Red side versus the blue side. This guy did this or said that 10 years ago. He's untrustworthy. Vote for us. We're better. Same shit, different arena. And who knows why the Academy does this? Is this just how it's always been? Referring back to the shows I did last year on the Oscars, that doesn't seem to be the case. This seems to be a relatively new phenomenon in the Academy more so around the 80s and 90s and the era of Harvey Weinstein. He was the one that took the attack ads and campaigns to the next level. They've always had attack ads and Oscars campaigns, but he definitely set the bar pretty high. He was using some pretty dirty tactics to try and garner favor from the Academy to win awards. Can't speak for the entire history of the Academy Awards. I doubt it would have been too heavily political in the first few decades, not until the 1960s or 70s. It kind of seems like movies back then were chosen on their artistic merit more than anything. 
when you compare it with the modern day, there wasn't as many films made back then as there are today. You didn't have Netflix and Amazon and everyone else throwing their hat in the Oscars arena, trying to garner the prestige for a streaming service by nominating 10 films. You only had a few nominees and films to compare with back then. That's a good place to end. We'll pick it up in the next show. I did say this one was going to be a two-parter, but it has now turned into a three-parter. I'm having a few computer issues that are making editing even longer than it usually is. So I do apologize for that. But the good news is there will be another episode out in the next couple of weeks. It's recorded, I just have to edit it, so it shouldn't take as long as my standard episodes. Just before I end the show, I'd like to give a big thank you and shout out to my fellow podcasters who have been supporting The Truth Tank on Instagram, Facebook, and Podbean. They've been supporting and posting Truth Tank content on their Instagram pages. I'm very appreciative. It's helping Truth Tank get to some new followers. It means a lot, and one way I can show my gratitude is by giving a big shout-out to the podcasts that have been supporting the Truth Tank. And they are Vicky from the Miss Spooky Obsessed podcast. If you're into the paranormal, definitely check her out. The Men of Misfortune podcast, definitely give them a follow. Lights, Camera, Rant, if you're into movies like I am, definitely check it out. The Why So Sidious podcast, if you love Star Wars. The Cheers Big Ears podcast, give them a follow. And last but certainly not least, the Culture Couch. If you want to support the Truth Tank, make sure you give them a follow and a like. They produce excellent content week after week, month after month. Podcasting is a lot of hard work and podcasters need all the help they can get. If you'd like to support me, definitely go and support them. Give a like and a follow to Miss Spooky Obsessed, Men of Misfortune, Lights Camera Rant, Why So Sidious, Cheers Big Ears, and The Culture Couch. And that brings us to the end of the show. A big thank you to everyone who listened to the end. If you'd like to support the Truth Tank, there's a couple of things you can do. Head on over to the Facebook and Instagram page, give them a follow and a like. If you've got some free time, leave a review. It helps the show grow. Download past and present episodes on Spotify, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts from. In this digital age we live in, word of mouth is still relevant. Help spread the word by telling your friends, family, people you work with, anyone who you think might like the show. And I'll be back in a couple of weeks with a new show. But until then, I'm a tank. This is the truth. May the truth be with you. Thank <laughs> you.